good morning. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, man, I'm awake and I'm ready to go. I've had a couple Dr. Peppers this morning, so I, I've got all kind of energy. So you may be uh, <laughs> in for it this morning. If you have a Bible, if you'll open your Bible to the Old Testament, the book of Obadiah, okay? If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It's going to be on the screen for you as well in just a minute as well. But we are, if you're a guest today, we're in a series called God in the Ruins. And what we're looking at is this understanding that God meets us in our ruins. Like we all have stuff, don't we? We all have things that are going on, good, bad, and ugly. We've all been the recipients of of evil. We've all been participants of evil, right? And we've been in a world that is broken because of sin or disobedience to God, right? And as a result of that, we know that we are separated from God, but God loves us so much that he's often, well, he's always in the midst of that with us because he cares about us. That's kind of seen a lot of different places in the Bible, but maybe none better than the minor prophets. The minor prophets are some weird dudes. Uh, if you've ever heard somebody preach out of the minor prophets, you think, well, man, that's just kind of strange because there's a lot of strange stories there. The minor prophets uh, really existed during a time of Israel's ruins, okay? Uh, if you would look at a timeline, they may throw it up on the screen behind me. Israel, around 931 B.C., uh, separated into two different nations, okay? And this is where the, the concept of the Old Testament is really important right here because you have the northern kingdom of Israel— called Israel, also called Ephraim uh, as well. And then you got the southern kingdom of Israel, which is called Judah. And there's another tribe, Benjamin, that's part of that. And so there's two different timelines historically going on. And they all lead up to these pretty massive disciplinary moments where God would allow two world empires to come in and discipline God's chosen people in the Old Testament. If you follow the narrative from Abraham that God was going to raise up a people for himself, the Jewish people through Abraham, ultimately our Savior Jesus Christ would come through that same line. But if you follow that through, Israel's history is much like ours. We have good days and then we have bad days, right? Can you say "Uh uh-huh, right? We have good days and we have some bad days. And if you don't believe that, look at your spouse. Your spouse could probably affirm that for you, okay? Right? And so, so we have these days that we're walking in obedience, like Israel, walking in obedience. And there was days where they allowed themselves to be compromised to the people around them and would follow other gods and committed idolatry, okay? And so God was not pleased with that. And multiple times, God in his graciousness would send these prophets, okay? We, we know the, the major ones are called Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. But the minor ones are just minor by length of book. But the message is just as important as the majors, okay? And he would send these, these, these prophets to remind the people that they are God's chosen people. And they should obey God and follow God no matter what, right? But ultimately, people did what people do. As uh, the great theologian uh, Forrest Gump says, stupid is as stupid does, right? And, and so people would disobey God. And Israel be first and... In fact, if you look at history's timeline, 721, 722 BC, people called Assyria would come in and conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. And then later, Judah would follow along 140, 150 years later, 586, 587 BC. And you may have heard of the great world empire of Babylon would conquer Judah itself. Both events were predicted, both events were warned against, but, but, but both of those events were hands of God to allow discipline to his people. And these prophets would circle around in the moments before and the moments after, pleading with God's people to return to God. And so that's what the minor prophets are about. And it seems to be this over and over the same story, like God's going to get you. God's going to get you. You better repent because it's going to get bad. God's going and, and people just don't listen, right? Right. And then ultimately here comes God's discipline in his hand. But all the while, and listen carefully, all the while there is a vision and a, there's a hopeful look to the future that God is not 
done yet. Amen? Amen. God is not done yet. And, and, and maybe, maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I, I feel like my ruins is just too much. And I, I think God may be done with me. Maybe I'm too far gone. And I just want to remind you from the, from the scriptures, that is absolutely not true. No one is too far for God. Okay? And so today we want to get to Obadiah. Now, Obadiah, unlike a lot of these prophets, Obadiah was a prophet not to Judah, the southern kingdom, not to Israel, the northern kingdom. He was actually a prophet to Edom. Now, like, who is Edom? Like, this is not a history class, preacher. Edom was similar, like cousins, distant cousins from Israel, okay? And so I'm entitling this message, The Avenger Prophet, because I like Marvel and I like Avengers. I don't know what your favorite Avenger is, but I'm kind of an Iron Man kind of guy. I don't know what that says about me, right? But The Avenger Prophet, okay? So if you have your Bible, we're going to look at Obadiah in just a minute, and we'll get there, and we'll talk through our friend Obadiah. There's a few things you need to know as we get there. Now, if you're a guest today, the series uh, for time restraints, I will not preach entire books of series because some of them are long and some of them are short. This is the short one, amen, right? This is the cliff, no, amen, right? I've been trying to give you like a fly around the island kind of view, right? And this, the, the, a lot of the books are like Australia Island, okay? This is like the Bahama Island, okay? All right, here's the scenic view. Look to your left, look to your right. Now let's, let's land this thing, okay? All right, so there's not a lot of background like overview survey for Obadiah, but there's a few things you need to know. So I'm gonna put them on the screen. Number one, this book was written probably uh, after exile. There's some people believe it was before exile for Judah. That would mean 586, 587 BC. But I think it's after. I'll tell you why in just a minute as we get into it, all right? It's not to Israel, not to Judah, but the people of Edom. Edom, or Edomites, were the descendants of Esau. Remember, remember Genesis chapter 25, chapter 26, 27. There's this unique story of these patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac. Remember her, Isaac and then Jacob, right? You ever heard of the Old Testament? You got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is like the family line of Israel, right? Jacob had a brother named Esau. And I don't know, how many of y'all have siblings? You all have siblings, you know, Baptist hand, whatever, all right? How many of you say you always get along with your siblings, you're lying. Deborah's lying back there, okay? All right? Because if your siblings, listen, sometimes siblings can get, can kind of get messy sometimes. I have an older sister. Bless her heart, right? Amen? And y'all just say, bless her heart, right? Uh, she's a school teacher in Texas, and uh, she's about three years older than I am. And I can remember, much like my children, age-wise, man, it was constant. I knew every button to push for my sister Angela, right? And I pushed it with passion, amen? Right? And everything I did irritated my sister. Everything, you know? And so there's that sibling, whatever, rivalry thing. And the funny thing is, as you get older, and this is the hope for all you young parents, as you get older, that relationship kind of changed a little bit, and you become friends with your sister or brothers, right? And it can actually be a good thing, right? But back then, it was not a good thing. The worst ever discipline I ever got. This probably should not be on live stream, Byron, okay? But I remember the worst discipline I ever got. I remember one summer, my sister and I were driving my mama crazy, and uh, my, mom, my mom believed in the paddle. We believed in, and you spared the rods, pull the child. And so uh, we believed in all that. But my mom got tired of it because I got to the point that I was too old for mama spankings to hurt. Amen, right? But I wasn't dumb enough to tell her that, all right? But they really didn't do anything. And so my mom uh, decided, you know what? You two are fussing so much, fine. Get out of the house, go get you a switch and have at it. And my sister, you know what a switch is. Your younger generation is a, is a, a piece of a tree, Right? Like it could be a limb or it can be a stick. And you may peel the leaves off of that thing and make it pop a little bit. And she said, no headshots and everything below the waist. No, buddy. And she went after me. And I went after her. But you know what? After that, we were friends for a long time, right? 
Amen? All right? Sibling rivalry is, is real. And so if you have a brother or sister, you know that. Jacob and Esau had some issues. And they were deeply, this is one of the things that encouraged me about the Bible, is there's nobody in the Bible that's perfect. The Bible is filled with some messed up families. And preacher, well, my, my family's messed up. Guess what? All of our families are messed up. Amen? And the Bible's full of those messed up families. Okay? So Jacob and Esau have this issue, Genesis 25, 27. One of, of, out of that line of Abraham, there would become two nations. Jacob would be the patriarch of the nation of Israel. And Esau's line would become the Edomites. Now, there would be constant uh, frustration between the two. In fact, you continue to get uh, bad blood. Uh, remember Numbers chapter 20, you may want to write these in your worship guide. If you have a worship guide this morning, I didn't mention this, but we kind of changed it up a little bit. So you have the order of worship on one side and flip it over. Then you have the notes. Smart, right? Anyway, so on there you can put the cross-references here. So write down Leviticus. If you want to, Leviticus chapter 20, verses 14 through 21, as the nation of Israel was coming to the promised land, guess who decided they weren't going to let them in? Brothers, Edomites, right? All right? So there's, there's, there's tension there, all right? Um, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 7, uh, the Mosaic law reminds Israel, hey, Edom is your brother, so treat them well, okay? All right? And then 2 Samuel chapter 8, David actually conquers the Edomites for just a moment, okay? Uh, back in 2 Samuel 8, verse 13 and 14. So just write those down. I want you to understand the background of this, what I call the Hatfields and McCoys, okay? You ever heard the Hatfields and McCoys? That's the line of Edom, line of Israel. They don't like each other, but the family, okay? All right? Family, all right? Number, number next, Edom is located just southeast of Judah, right across from the Dead Sea, okay? So if you're looking at the nation of Israel, if you go southeast of Jerusalem, you're looking at the land of Edom. And their major cities, Teman, um, Basra, and Selah, but we probably all know it as Petra. Y'all ever seen pictures of Petra before? Petra is a beautiful ruin. In fact, yeah. yes, maybe, hey, there we go. I don't know what that was. Truck went by and caught our frequency. I don't know. It didn't make it. Okay. Petra, we may know it from, y'all ever watched Indiana Jones? Indiana Jones? Remember there was a scene, I think it was in Raiders of the Lost Ark, or maybe it was The Last Crusade, that ended up in Petra. Okay? And so this is Petra. Petra was built back in, in red limestone uh, cliffs and was really the capital city of Edom. And because of their fortified cities, this is really important. Now I want you to listen in. People of Edom were incredibly arrogant and prideful. Maybe. There we go. Channel one. There we go. Hey, there we go. So Edom is uh, uh, over here. And so, if you think about Assyria coming in from the east, and then you've got Babylon, or Babylon coming from the east, Assyria coming in from the north, and right here over in the corner is Edom, and they're built up into these cliffs. These cities are built, kind of fortified into these cliffs. And so, because of that, they thought they were untouchable. Like, these other people who are conquering Israel, they can't touch us. And so, they got incredibly prideful as a result of that. And that's why you see Obadiah chapter 1, because there's only one chapter, in verse 3. I want to read to you verse 3. Everybody have a Bible? Say, uh-huh. All right, sorry about the tech issues. I didn't do it. No matter what they say, I didn't touch it, okay? Verse 3. The pride of your heart, the pride of your heart has deceived you. And you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwellings, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? 
So Obadiah, this prophet to the Edomites, was saying, you know what? You know what your problem is? Your problem is really simple. It's pride. And your pride is about to lead you to do some really, really unbrotherly things to your brother. To be really uncaring, uncompassionate, and very wicked things. In fact, you've already done it. And this is what God's going to do as a result of that. If you have a worship guide, I want to fill in a few things real quickly for you this morning. Number one, if you're at home, grab a, a pen to paper, write this down. Pride is the antithesis of the gospel. Pride. Jesus modeled humility and service above self-interest. Pride is the opposite of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to clarify what the gospel is this morning. The gospel is that God loves you so very much. Amen? God cares about you even though you are a sinner. Sinner can be defined as someone who is in rebellion against God. Everybody here has done something against God. We've all disobeyed God. And as a result of that, we are distant from God. But God loves us despite the fact that we're sinners. And so he will allow his son, Jesus Christ, who perfect, perfectly lived a perfect life for 33 years. Never, nobody else ever did that. Nobody else was ever perfect. Only, only Jesus. And then would die on the cross to pay a sin debt. Not his, but ours. Yours, the whole world's sin. And then three days later, raised in the grave. That is the gospel, okay? That is our bridge to God himself if we repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ. But here's what the gospel declares. The gospel says that Jesus died, right? Jesus laid down his life, right? Jesus became, as Philippians says, humbled to the point of this, even death on the cross. Jesus First of all, condescended to become human form. He is fully God in heaven with, with the Father. Come to the earth, humbling himself. To walk the same roads in life. Be exposed to all the same emotions that we have. And the same fr frustrations that we have. And even temptations that we have. And yet purely live a life. And then die on the cross. And so the gospel says, die, not look at me. Amen. The early church father, Augustine of Hippo, said this. Man ought to be ashamed of being proud, seeing that God was humbled for his sake. You can see there's really no room for pride in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I referenced Philippians 2 a minute ago. I'm going to read it. Philippians 2, 3. From nothing, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, woo, look at me, look at me, look at me, but also to the interests of others, right? Have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped or held onto, but he served. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus would save himself. John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. The gospel is not compatible with pride. It's not. So the pride is the antithesis of the gospel. C.S. Lewis said it this way, pride leads to every other vice, it is the complete anti-God state of mind. I, I would argue this. If you look back in the book of Genesis, everything was all gravy baby, baby Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, right? I mean, here we are in the Garden of Eden. Everything is perfect. You know the reason why your football team lost yesterday if it did? Because of sin, right? Not your coach's sin, right? Or your player's sin. But everything's not perfect anymore, right? There's a, there's a reason why sometimes you, you overcook your steak, it's because of sin, right? 
Well, pre- preaching, that's kind of weird. You kind of, that's extreme. But the reality is this. In the garden, there was no, no team that lost because there was no team, right? Go, God. You know, there was no overburnt steaks because I think they just ate vegetables and fruit then, I guess, okay? Anyway, so none of that, right? There was no headaches. There was no heartaches. There was no pain. There was no suffering. There was no divorce. There was no losing your job. There was no any of those things. No murder. No jealousy. Everything was good. Genesis 1 and 2. Everything's gravy, baby. And then pride showed up. In Genesis chapter 3, a serpent, Satan, incognito, slithers up. I don't know. I guess before then, maybe he walked up because I think he had legs at that point. It's kind of weird. All right. He walks up and just and tempts Eve. says, hey, hey, don't you want to be like God? Don't you want to be like God? I mean, like, God is just like, whoa. Don't you want to be like God? And just for a moment, Eve said, hmm, that sounds pretty good. I think I could be like God. You know what you call that, folks? Pride. So as C.S. Lewis would say, pride leads to every other vice. It's a complete anti-God state of mind. And you all know the rest of the story, right? Number two, fill in the blank. Number two, pride erodes the love of others due to the unhealthy love of self. Pride erodes the love of others due to the unhealthy love of self. C.S. Lewis would also say, pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. I said this a couple weeks ago. I think in history, if we survive the next decade or two, and we actually this generation gets written in a history book, you know what we're going to call this generation or this time period? It's called the death of common sense, right? Amen? I'll say, if you find somebody who has a work ethic and common sense, hire them. I don't care if they're qualified or not, just hire them, okay? Amen? Pride. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But we're told that love does not rejoice in evil or wickedness. It is self-sacrificing. As 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It's not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Listen to that carefully. We'll come back to that. But rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. In those verses, you never find any inclination that pride can coexist with that. You see that? Because pride erodes true love. Andrew Murray said that pride needs to die in us for anything else in heaven to live in us. Pride is a danger. So let's look together. If you have your Bible, I want you to jump ahead, and then we're going to come back to a story that we find in Luke. Jump ahead to Obadiah 1.10. Hey, you guys are doing a great job in the back. I know we're having issues. It's not their fault, by the way. Okay, so hang in there. Obadiah 1, verse 10. Y'all read with me. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, Jacob being Israel, Judah, okay, so now he's talking to Edom. This is family line down the road. Prideful people think that they're untouchable over in the cliffs of Petra. Shame shall cover you. This is like the prophet's like, wow. Shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, and I think probably this is after Babylon has come in to Judah, and Babylon has come in and conquered Judah and taken off all the things from Jerusalem and all the things from the temple and taken off, you know, and, and, and Jerusalem and Judah is sacked, okay? You know what Edom did? Nothing. Nothing. They sat over there in their cliffs and said, you know what, I don't get mixed up with that. I'm not going to help my brother. I mean, listen, you know, I mean, if I go over there to Judah and Jerusalem, and Babylon's over there doing their thing over there, if I go over there, they may follow me back here, and they may wind their way through the caves, and they may come after us. And so I don't want to get involved. I just, I just want to stay over here, mind my own business, right? 
You know, sometimes that passive attitude affects us as Christians. I just want, I don't want to buy my own business over here. I don't want to get involved. But there are things that we've got to get involved with. Number one, love, right? We need to love and have compassion for people, right? So on the day that that happened, you stood aloof or you didn't care. The day that strangers carried off their wealth and foreigners into the gate and cast off lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You were not hospitable. You're not caring. Number three, hospitality, which is what we're talking about, brotherly love. Hospitality is a fruit of someone being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? We are never too busy to help someone in need. Never. We should, everybody should say amen to that. So I'm from Oklahoma, and I know that that's technically south of the Mason-Dixon line, right? But it's not really southern, southern. You know what I'm saying? Like they still have regular tea without sweet, you know, sugar in it, and it's still hard to get sweet tea in Oklahoma, right? Amen? So when I say it's not southern, it's not really southern, okay? I moved to the south when I was 12 years old. So I was born there, but I got here as fast as I could, okay? Amen? Right? And so there's a lot of things about the south I really love, okay? I like sweet tea, Amen? I, I, I like the y'alls and the yes sirs and the yes ma'am. I just like respect, amen, right? We're trying to enforce that at my house right now. Yes, sir, yes, ma'am, that, that's what we got to do, okay, all right? That's just the right thing to do. You know what else I love about the South? Hospitality. There ain't no place like Southern hospitality. Everybody's nice to each other around here, well, by and large, okay? Everybody's, except for when it comes to the Auburn, Alabama, Iron Bowl Day, okay? That's beside, we'll just put it off the side, okay? All right? But we're nice to each other. People care about each other. Like, there are these unwritten rules, like, if you see somebody struggling with their groceries, taking down the car, you just you go get the buggy and you push it up for them, like, right? Or you open a door for somebody and, like, yes, ma'am, you know? Or you see somebody on the side of the road with a flat tire, like, if you're a guy, like, you're going to pull off and you're going to help because that's what we do, right? That's Southern hospitality, Amen. Isn't that a Christian thing? Like, shouldn't it be? As, as a natural response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, shouldn't hospitality be kind of a fruit of, like, who we are, right? If somebody has a need, well, we can help with that. Put me in, coach. <laughs> but, but we don't do that enough because we think we're too busy, but we're never too busy to help somebody in need. Alexander Strauss says, hospitality ends love in action. Hospitality is the flesh and the muscle and bones of love. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one without grumbling. So when you pull over on the side of the road, guys, to help somebody who has a flat tire, don't complain. I don't care how hot it is outside. Be nice. Show compassion. Be hospitable. Romans, Paul says, Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is the very thing Edom didn't do. They, wasn't, they didn't care. Their brother is being destroyed and Edom sit high in their pride and said, no, nah, I don't want to get involved with the problems. This is, just think about this. If we refuse to get involved in the mess and the problems, who's to say the same problems and mess ain't coming our way next? Amen? We want to sit church and we'll call you out. We want to sit on a high purchase thinking that we got it all figured out. Maybe we have this self-righteous pride side of us, thinking, well, I, I can't get too involved with that because I don't want to look, look bad. You can't afford not to get involved with that because there are people who desperately need the compassion and the love of Jesus Christ. We need to see hospitality. We need to see love. We need to see caring. Obadiah one twelve, But do not gloat over the day of your brother, the day of his misfortune. You ever gloated over something before? Like... 
like yesterday, like if any of y'all are Nebraska fans yesterday, I'm an Oklahoma fan. If you're a Nebraska fan today, I was going to gloat. Like, yeah, we beat you up yesterday, right? Your team wins in that game in November that I referenced earlier. You may gloat for a little bit. You may kind of look haughty, proudful, like strut going on kind of thing, right? But that should never happen between brothers in the sense of, like, I'm better than you. That's, that's what happened here. Don't gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. How, how messed up is it that we somehow get some kick out of watching somebody else's failure? What does that say about us? You ever felt that way? Like, well, they deserved it. <laughs> I mean, maybe you would never say it out loud. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't. Maybe it's, but you're in your head like, they had it coming. How, how sick is that of us? You know what that reveals in us? Sin, pride, arrogance, ungratefulness. That's what Edom's done. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Remember, remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, what I just read? Love does not rejoice in evil, wrongdoing. Don't do that. Number four, the attitude of vengeance is toxic to the human soul. It's toxic. <laughs> I, I like to kid around a lot. If you know me, like, if you, like, I, I can pick, I can dish out, I can prank, I can do all those kind of things. I enjoy that for whatever reason. I don't know what that says about me, but I enjoy that. And you can, you can give it back to me. And I always say this, well, I don't get mad, I just get even. <laughs> but that's fun in games when it's fun in games. But that really shouldn't be the attitude of a heart, right? You, you ever wanted somebody to get hurt? Because they deserved it. Uh, they, they just deserve it, God. They just deserve it, so get them. The attitude of vengeance is toxic to the human soul. One author said this, For vengeance is an emptiness that he seeketh, and it wasteth himself. Destroys himself. Proverbs 25, 26, Like muddied spring or polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Proverbs 25, 26. I'm reminded of Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Paul writes, be angry and do not sin. That's hard, right? You know, you can sin, be angry and not sin, right? Like, you can be righteously angry about stuff. I see something all the time on the news. I'm like, that's, ooh, that makes my blood boil, mm, you know? But, but there's a way to handle that by responding and not reacting, right? So be angry and do not sin, but do not let the sun go down on your, on your anger and give, as a result, the, the devil no opportunity. So look in context here in Ephesians 4, 26, 27. Anger unresolved that wants to lead to a reactionary vengeance opens the floodgate for the devil. Is that right? Did I read that correctly? It's toxic. Verse 13, Obadiah 1, do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth. Now, this is exactly, like, historically, this is what happened. Edom not only tried to stay out of it, then they joined it. At some point, they joined it. He said, you know what? We're going to be part of Babylon or part of the invaders. And they went and looted Jerusalem. The Jews who were fleeing Jerusalem, they took them captives and turned them over to Babylon. Like, how messed up is that? Like, that's your brother. And yet you turn them into the bad guys? You didn't care. In fact, you actually participated in evil in your unlovingness. There's, a, there's application here, so hang in there. I'm almost done, okay? Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Number five, it is never our place to get even. And this is what I just know. God will vindicate the righteous. Amen? 
There are things in this world. Can we just all like give us a Baptist hand? There are things in this world, if you agree with me, put your Baptist elbow up or hand up, okay, that are just wrong, right? And there are things in this world that you just want to get even and you want to handle it. Amen? Right? God, just kill them all and let, let God sort it out. Amen? Right? Friend, that's not our place. It's not our place. It is not my job to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. It is my job to care about people deeply, even in the midst of their suffering, and love them and tell them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my job. God will get his on his day. Amen? The question is, are we going to be patient and let God get his on his day? I have found myself too often getting between God getting his and me getting mine. I want to I insert myself there. And when I insert myself there, you know what I do? I actually short-circuit what God is doing in his discipline. I become an adversary to God's work, not someone who's surrendering and submitting myself to Christ as a result of it. It's never our place to get in the middle of that. Romans chapter 12, verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave to the wrath of God. And he quotes uh, the Old Testament Mosaic law. Vengeance is mine, God says. I will repay, says the Lord. Ezekiel, God says, I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. Sounds like one of those hellfire brimstones now, right? Ooh, here we go, vengeance. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. This is the heart. Matthew 5, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, to turn to him the other also. Now, if you walk up here after the sermon here in a minute and you slap me just to see if I'll turn to the other cheek, then we're going to have a conversation, okay? All right? But what I think what Jesus is, is driving home is this. Like, don't retaliate. Because what we, mama always said this. Mama always said, mama always said this, two wrongs never make a what? And oftentimes we throw our wrong in, and you know what just makes it wronger? That's not good English. I know, Katie. just makes it wronger. Don't retaliate. God's going to get it. In his time, God's going to get it. 1 Thessalonians 5.15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good. Do good to everyone, to one another, everyone. Verse 14, Obadiah chapter 1. I'm almost done. I'm going to land a plane. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Stop being a part of the problem. For the day of the Lord, and then, listen, the last few weeks, if, you, if you're a guest today, we've been talking about this day of the Lord. The day of the Lord can be defined a couple different ways. Number one is a day when God physically, visibly disciplines, okay? And that's near fulfillment, like for Edom. By the way, if you go to Edom right now, you go to Petra right now, there is no human civilization there. At one point in time, they were one of the most civilized cultures in the world. There is no civilization. You know why? Because God's disciplined, all right? Now you see the remnant of, okay? So the day of the Lord was a near fulfillment in this sense that God was going to get his and God got his, right? But there's a future thing out there, right? I don't mean to, to scare you. If you're like, I'm not a church person and you're hearing things about the gospel, I'm not trying to scare you to heaven. But one day there will be a day that we have to give account for all of this, right? There is a future day of the Lord. And it is a, a beautiful thing for those in Christ. It is a terrifying thing for those who are lost, right? If you read the book of Revelation, it gets laid out for us. The day of the Lord, verse 15, 
is near upon all the nations, all the nations, not just Edom, for all the nations, all the people. And as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your, he says, your deeds shall return on your own head. Ooh. You're going to have it coming, whatever you sowed in this life. Mm. Reminds me of Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, it's the golden rule, right? Do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. If you want to sow good, you'll receive good in that sense. If you want to sow evil, guess what? There is a principle of sowing and reaping. Number six, almost there. The gospel, this truth of hope, this is the gospel, declares the very God who offers forgiveness and salvation to all who repent and believe will also judge and punish evil and unbelief. The gospel, the truth of hope, declares that the very God who offers forgiveness and salvation to all who repent and believe will also judge and punish evil and unbelief. Let me ask a really important question, and let's think about the gospel. The gospel is Jesus' life, his death, resurrection, ascension. Okay, that's the gospel. Why is that necessary? You know why that's necessary? Because revelation's a reality. If there was no afterlife, if there was no judgment, if there was no justice, there would be no need for Jesus. Amen? The reality is this. Revelations is real. The second coming of God's real, so the first coming of Christ was necessary. Amen? Now, I want to go back real quickly, and I'm, I'm kind of skipping out of my notes here because I really want to bring you to a quick story in the gospel. If you have a Bible, flip over to Luke chapter 10. This, just, this gives you the Christian example of hospitality in the midst of this, okay? All this is the gospel. Luke 10. There's a story of the great Samaritan, the good Samaritan. And I just want to read that to you. And I want you to contrast that with the way Edom operates against Israel in the day of distress. Luke 10, 25 through 37. Behold, a lawyer stood up to him in the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, pride, self-righteousness, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem. Y'all read this story before, right? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So the pastor was going down the road, and he just left him there. Good old pastor, right? I see you the way you're looking at me, right? So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side of the road. The Levite was basically the contemporary of the worship leader. So Joey and Jason ignored the guy, okay? Pretty bad, right? Too busy, apparently, right? Planning worship services for you guys, okay? But a Samaritan, which I guess the Jewish congregation, Samaritans were 
these guys right here were compromising. These were, these were guys we didn't care about because they somehow intermarried with other people. They didn't keep the whole Jewish law. We don't like those guys. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he set on him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, probably the Holiday Inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus asked, Which of these three, the preacher, the music minister, or the drunkard out in the bar, do you think proved to be a neighbor to a man who fell among the robbers? And the guy said, well, the, the one who, who, I think he stuttered. We don't get this in the Bible, but I think we can read it. I think he said, the, 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 the guy who said, mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. The gospel demands compassion of the church of Jesus Christ. The gospel commands the church of Jesus Christ in these times of ruin to care for people. You know what? If it were not for grace, you may be the very where they are, place they are. Were it not for grace, you would have some of the same heartaches. You've got heartaches now, but you may have some of the same heartaches if it were not for God's grace. We have no, no platform to stand in arrogance, pride. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number last on your worship guide. And I'm done, okay? Amen? Oh, I can keep going if you want to. I don't care. This is the, in, in all of these books, if you're a guest, I'm trying to give you an attribute of God because I want to, I want to paint for this picture of God. Who is God like? What is, what is God like? So here, here it is. God is both merciful and he's wrathful. He's merciful and he's wrathful. He is gracious to the repentant and yet judges the wicked. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Preacher, this is Obadiah, like this is Old Testament. It doesn't apply to me. How does that not apply to us? Christian, I'm going to talk to you. If you don't have a relationship with, with God through Jesus, just pause for a second. Just, I'll catch you in a second, okay? Christian, how dare we not care about the people outside these doors? How dare we? Do you realize how close hell is for someone who's lost? you realize how much people need hope today? We may live in the most hopeless day in history. Everybody's looking to themselves to try to figure out their own problems. And we're getting bigger and bigger in debt, bigger and bigger in suffering, bigger and bigger in, in all the issues, and we're, we're, we're caving in out here. And we're, we're church, we're just like, come in and act like everything's fine, like everything's fine. I'm going to stay over here in my cliffs and do nothing. How dare we? Preacher, how dare we? We got to do better than that. We got to care about people because Jesus cared about people. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, how does that apply to you? You know what? You were the one who being ransacked by sin. You were the enemy of, of God. Sin had conquered you because of your disobedience to God, and you are in ruin. This is what, this is what the Bible says. Don't get mad at me, mad at God. You're lost, and if something were to happen to you today, if you have no faith, no repentance, then you're going to go spend eternity away from God. 
a place called hell. That's terrible. That's wrath. But God loved you. And God got out of his glorious position in the sense of heaven, and he walked the same dirt roads you walk. And Jesus, as God, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay and take care of your sin debt that you owed and you couldn't pay. He rose from the grave, proving that he is God himself, and now he offers salvation to you. All you have to do is repent and place your faith in Jesus. That's what it's about. You're in ruins, lost friend. But my Jesus wants to pick you up out of your ruins and bring you back to the riches of his relationship and glory. That's the gospel. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for your word today. For Obadiah, short book, a lot there. Lord, it would help us as Christians, Lord, to live out the gospel by showing kindness and hospitality, Lord, mercy and compassion, not to rejoice in evil, to get active in the world that we live in because the gospel demands it of us. Lord, for anyone here who's lost, God, I pray, Lord, in this moment we're about to have, Lord, that right there in their chair or they come to the altar or they come talk with me, Lord, that they would repent of their sin. Lord, saying more than just I'm sorry, but I want to turn from my sin. I want to place my faith in Jesus for my salvation, heaven one day, but God with me, hope today because of God, my faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do today in that. Lord, I pray that you would build your, ch- your kingdom, build your church. Lord, let today be a, a drumbeat, Lord, for our church this fall. Lord, as we get really busy about the gospel of Jesus Christ in our community. Lord, that's going to shave into next year and, and some vision that's going to be shared, Lord, soon. Lord, when it comes to reaching our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, give us a compassionate heart. Lord, help us to be the Samaritan, not the religious self-righteous. Lord, help us to be the church that yells hope is here. And hope is Jesus Christ. Lord, build your kingdom, build your church, do what only you can do. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we have a time of commitment?